to all of our musicians and our technical team. We love you and we appreciate you so very, very much. What kind? What kind of a person are you? In our Holy Bible, in Judges chapter 11, it tells us the story of a man, of a man named Jephthah, J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. Uh, late last night, my, my wife inspired me to say Jephthah quickly. Try, try saying Jephthah quickly. Try. Jephthah, 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 Jephthah. It's hard to say many times quickly, isn't it? Anyway, uh, there's a potential name for some of you who are going to have a baby boy in the future. But anyway, he was a, a, a leader. He was the leader of Israel for six years in the 12th century B.C. And officially, he was referred to as a judge. When you and I study Jephthah's life, we uncover, we uncover some characteristics which we would definitely want, for sure we would want in our lives, and we also discover some characteristics that we would want to avoid. Let's pick up this story in Judges chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here it is. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the, man, over the Ammonites, he's talking to the Lord, okay? He says, if you, that's God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Wow. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aror to an area, to an area near Mineth and as far away as Abel Keramim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You brought, you've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. Verse 37. But first let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said, 
and he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept, kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray that you would open up the minds and hearts of all who listen and view here today. Lord, help each of us to get a hold of whatever truth you especially want us to hear, to know, to act upon, to be transformed by, to be helped by, to be blessed by, to be corrected by. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what do we learn about the kind of person you want to be? The first truth I want to share with you is this. Number one, be a person who keeps your word. In verses 30 and 31, Jephthah made a vow to God. And here is what verses 30 and 31 say. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me a victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. In the rest of the story with Jephthah, we read of how he sincerely tried to uh, carry out. He tried to live out his words. In fact, in verse 36, his daughter even tries to encourage him to keep his word as she says, she says, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed for the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. Now, in a previous message, I talked about how you and I do not have to bargain with God. All right? In a sense, in verse 30, Jephthah was, was uh, bargaining with God by saying, If you, that is God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord. If you give me, I will give. If you give me, I will give. Well, that's what I call bargaining with God or, or making, making spiritual deals, right? God loves you, right? God loves us and, and we don't have to negotiate with God in that way, just for the record. Putting aside that issue, we still, we still want to commend Jephthah for in his own way, he was trying to be a person who keeps his word. One commentator says, Jephthah was a person of his word, even when it was a word spoken in haste, and even when keeping his word caused him great pain. All right, why don't you read out loud with me these verses that, teach us about keeping our word. Uh, you should see them on your screen. Numbers 30, verses 1 and 2. Read out loud with me. 
This is what the Lord has commanded. A man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Then Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill your vows or you will be guilty of sin. However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. Be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. My friend, when you are a person who keeps your word with God and with other people, here are some of the benefits of keeping your word. I'm going to give you some numbers um, for those of you who take taking notes. Number one, you avoid having a reputation as an unreliable person, okay? This is one of the benefits of keeping your word. You avoid having a reputation as an unreliable person. Number two, you will deepen your relationship with God and with others. For example, if you tell God you will carry out a particular ministry or responsibility and you deliberately don't keep your promise to the Lord, your relationship with the Lord is going to suffer. It will. Uh, if you make plans, if you make plans with a friend, um, a friend to meet, let's say, for lunch or to help him or her paint their house or shovel their driveway or babysit their child, pick up something from the store for them, make them a meal. If you make plans to take their dog for a walk, uh, cut their grass in the summer, or whatever it is, when you give your word to do something and you carry it out repeatedly, it does what? It deepens, deepens your relationship with that person or family. Occasionally, you or I might forget. Or on occasion, you, you might have to phone up. I might have to phone up and say, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm real sorry. I'm, I really intended to come over to help you for the next three to four hours, but my, my child went tobogganing down the hill in the neighborhood, and he or she got hurt, and I, I have to take him to the hospital. I'm, I'm on my way to the hospital, all right? Keeping our word deepens our relationship with God and with others. Griselda, does that make sense? All right, you're a teacher, so you would know if I'm making sense or not. Praise God. Now, by keeping your word, number three, you will not have to deal with very much regret or guilt. Who wants to live with regret or guilt? No one. You don't want to live with that, do you? Of course not. No. 
if you follow through on what we say, uh, uh, on what we say we'll do, we don't have to worry about feeling guilt or regret. That will help our mental state and lead to an improved attitude. Here's another benefit of keeping your word. Number four, number four, you will be more thoughtful about the words you use. You'll be more careful about what you say. Number five, you will be more selective. You'll be more selective about what you agree to do. It will help you to know what to say yes or no to. Correct? Right. All right. That's number five, I think. Number six. Okay, number six. Keeping your word is the right thing to do. So you have that sense of satisfaction that, hey, I've done the right thing. Number seven, keeping your word builds character. When you keep your word, even when it hurts to do so, you are building strength of character. Number eight, keeping your word builds trust. That's right, it keeps it helps you build trust. When you give people what you promised, you are making, quote, trust deposits. Trust deposits in your account. People see you as reliable and honest. Number nine, keeping your word sets you apart. One writer says, in a world full of scam artists, it's refreshing to find a person in business that operates with honesty and integrity. Now, in my case, the main reason, for instance, I take my car to Lucas Mechanic Shop on Kingston Road, um, where, where I take it for repairs, is because I know the owner, I know the person is a person, the mechanic, the owner, is a person of honesty and integrity. The mechanic there is not, is not going to charge me $1,000 for a repair job when he knows that a $200 job is going to be sufficient. Right? And number 10, keeping your word helps you sleep at night. Helps you to sleep at night. You can lay your head on the pillow at night with the satisfaction and peace and peace of mind that you did the right thing. All right? Now there, to my wife, honey, didn't take me that long to communicate those 10 points that I, no, did it, no. All right, by the way, I, I always want to give credit where credit is due. Um, these benefits that I've spoken of, the benefits of keeping your word, are, are my way of summarizing two different articles and research papers that I studied. One was by Neil Raymond and another by Clace Jonathan Design. As we reflect upon the truth I have just shared with you, the question is this, are you 
Are you a person who keeps your word with God and with other people? Do we keep our word? As we reflect upon the truth I've just shared with us, ask yourself that question, please. I came across a quote from Michelle Obama who said, we learned about honesty and integrity that the truth matters. The truth matters. As we think of this truth, for those of us, for those of us who are married, who spoke vows, who spoke words in some wedding ceremony, wherever it was, in which we said something like, uh, something like, I take you to be my lawful wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. And until then, I pledge to you all my love and all my devotion. In one form or another, most of us said vows similar to that. Husbands and wives, we need, we need, you and I need to live out those vows. We need to, what? We need to keep our word. Is there an amen? Amen. Amen, says the new bride. Wonderful. Now listen to this. Fathers and mothers, moms and dads, when you chose to have a baby, you were making an unspoken promise. You, you were giving your word. You were giving your word to be a part of that child's life. To love that child. To protect protect and care for that child, to guide and teach that child, to bless that child. Fathers and mothers, we need to keep our unspoken word. Now hopefully you have your child after you are married. But whether, whether or not your son or daughter was born within marriage or outside of marriage, please, Keep your unspoken promises to that child. Even if you as your child's father and mother get separated, divorced, or whatever, do not, please, do not forsake, do not forget, do not abandon your child or children. Keep involved in your child's life. Yes, Celebrate their birthday. Deliver your son or daughter a Christmas present even if he or she is not living with you. Attend their, their school or church events, church presentations. Take them to the park. Play with them. Lovingly discipline them. Visit your child in the hospital if he or she is there. If somehow, if somehow your son or daughter ends up living in another city or another province, another country, make the time. Listen now, listen. Make the time. Find the time. Do what you got to do. Find the time to, if, to walk there wherever he or she is living. Find the time to walk there, swim there, drive there, bus it there, take the train there, 
fly there to see your child, your children, all right? Pay your child support if you're supposed to. Pay your child support, whatever it is. In other words, in other words, do your best to love, support, and invest in each child. Do your best so that each child, my friend, so that each child can grow up. Each child can grow up saying, perhaps, perhaps I didn't grow up having the ideal family in life, but this one thing I know, this one thing I know, this one thing I know, my mother loved me, this one thing I know, my father loved me, my mother loved me, my father loved me. Why am I so burdened about this? Why am I so passionate about this? Because, because as a pastor of many years, I have known, I have known and I know young people, children, young people and adults who have grown up, who have grown up and either their father or mother abandoned them in one way or another and they live with hurt, which is so hard to overcome. And so I say to all of us, please, Please remember the vow, the promise, the unspoken vows and promises we have made to any child that you might father or mother. Is there an amen from the few of you in here in this sanctuary? Yes. Yes. Some of you who are listening and watching are, are, are thinking, thank you, Pastor Nick, for at least trying to prevent pain for others, pain that you have experienced and wish other, other people would not experience. Yeah. And so, our first major truth today is be a person who keeps your word. Amen. Let me just get a little drink of water here. By the way, for those of you who have always had your mother and father involved in your life, you probably really cannot understand or fully appreciate why I just said so firmly what I just said. All right, here's the second major truth for today. It is this. Why don't you read it with me from your screen? Be very careful about what kind of promises or vows you and I make to God or to other people. This truth also comes from verses 29 to 31 of uh, Judges chapter 11. 
So looking at verse 29, once again, here it is. At that time the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. All right. I am confident that Jephthah meant well. He meant well with what he just said there. Right? Would you agree? But it was a rash. It was a, a rash promise which he really, I don't think, stopped to think about. Jephthah said in verse 31, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. All right, I mean, think about it. Think about it. You're smart people. Did Jephthah stop to think as to what would come out of his house? No. Doesn't sound like it to me. It, it would have been either, what's going to come out of his house? It would have been either his wife, or his child, a daughter, or it might have been his cat, or dog, or some other pet that he maybe had. What else would maybe come out of his house? Except maybe the smell of some good cooking? Jephthah's words are a reminder to us to be very careful what kind of words we speak or what, kind of, uh, what kinds of promises we make. And by the way, in Jephthah's time, which, which was the 12th century B.C., a promise or a vow carried as much force as a written contract. It was like a written contract. If a person made a promise or vow to God or to someone else, they saw it as something very serious which they couldn't back down from. I understand that in this day and age in North America, a lot of people don't take what they promise as seriously as a written contract, but nevertheless, we need to be extremely careful to do what we say we will do. What does that mean? It means a lot of things. It means if you tell, I tell, if you tell a child, if you tell your child or someone else's child, you are going to go and watch them play their soccer game, basketball game, volleyball game, baseball game, uh, hockey game, make sure, make sure you show up. If at the last moment you find you, you honestly cannot attend Try to take, take or get a message to that child or see them after the game and explain to them what unfortunately happened and how sorry you are that you missed their game and plan to attend one of their other games. And of course, I'm talking about things we can usually do during non-COVID-19 times, right? And by the way, as I was thinking about that, it, it just, I remember, I remembered how when I was a, a kid, like, you know, uh, especially between grades uh, one and six. I, I remember that 
occasionally my Uncle Steve, my Uncle Steve would, would drop by the house and would say, Nico, Nico, come with me, come with me, I'm going to go get you, I'm going to get you a milkshake. And, and as a little kid, you know, that, that was a real big deal for me. That was a big, big deal. In fact, in fact, uh, I think it was in grade five, it was either grade four or five in school, um, there was some kind of a, there was some kind of a, uh, a speech competition. It was a, that's right, it was a, it was a speech competition and, and the teacher asked if I would like to do a speech and, and my speech was on my Uncle Steve, my Uncle Steve. And to my surprise, I won. <laughs> I won. You know? Anyway, anyway, uh, in our own family now, Yanni is our first grandchild who is now six years old. When, when he was first born, I, I was all excited about our first grandchild, and I was thinking, I was thinking uh, of making all kinds of promises to his parents about what my wife and I would do for him. I was thinking about that. And th then I stopped. I stopped and thought of how we would probably end up having four grandchildren, hopefully more, hopefully more. Uh, I've been trying to bribe my kids to have more than four grandchildren, but so far I, I haven't been able to bribe them. Uh, but I, I reminded myself when I was thinking of, you know, making these promises to um, my daughter and her husband as to what my wife and I would like to do for this first grandson, uh, I reminded myself not to make rash promises because to be fair, whatever we do for one grandchild, we would do, we would have to do for every grandchild. Right? Right. Um, let's suppose, let's suppose a father and mother have four children. Any of you here from four, with four children in the family? Okay, yeah, one hand. All right. Well, let's suppose a father and mother have four children. When their oldest child is getting ready for university, the parents may honestly want to promise and say something like, they might want to say, son or daughter, so long as you achieve A's and B's in university, we will pay, we will pay for up to seven years of university studies. Now that would be a noble, a noble, a good intention. But those well-meaning parents have to think carefully and ask themselves, can we realistically afford to pay for seven years of studies for all four of our children. Pastor Lisa, when you have ten children, you're going to have to ask yourself, can we realistically afford to pay for all ten of our children to go seven years post-high school? Okay? Now, you know, if they have four children and, and they know they can afford it, and if Pastor Lisa has ten children and she and her husband know that they can afford to put ten children through seven years of university each, that, that's great. That's great. But if they could not offer the same promise, if they couldn't offer the same promise to child number two and child number three and child number four and child number ten, then they would be wise 
to come up with a plan that would be fair for all four kids, or however many kids you have, they have. Otherwise, parents run the risk of being accused of what? Favoritism, that's right. They're accused, they can be accused of favoritism by their children, which only leads to what? To family conflict, as happened with Joseph in the Bible. All right. Remember that a promise is a personal commitment people expect you and me to honor. Further, what does that mean? Well, if you are an employer and you make certain promises to your employees, please honor them. Honor them. For example, perhaps you told your employees that they would be given a a 3% wage increase in six or eight months. Do your best to honor that promise. But sometimes, sometimes a global problem like COVID-19 comes along and your business goes down, let's suppose it goes down 50%. Well, be honest with your employees and say, we are terribly sorry, but but we can't give a 3% increase to anyone. We are struggling financially and we are trying to figure out how not to lay off anyone, but we might have to lay off some people. If you promise your child you will buy them a bicycle or the latest gadget game, and I've learned that sometimes these gadgets, gadget games cost more than a bicycle, keep your promise. Keep your promise. If you don't, if you don't keep that promise, guess what? 20 years later, 20 years later, they will still remember that you didn't keep your promise. Some of you are still remembering that 20, 30 years ago, someone didn't keep a promise to you. Isn't that right? Yeah. If ever you, okay, a few of you will, if ever you will get into politics... Don't make promises you know you will not be able to keep. At election times, I will on occasion hear some politician make some promises that are, that are outlandish. I hear them and I think, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, don't, don't do that. Nobody can keep that promise. You know, sometimes at election time I, I feel like calling up some politicians and saying, my, my friend... You are making some promises you, you just can't keep. Please just be honest with people. Be honest with voters. Be realistic. That's right, says someone. Thanks for the lonely voice in the wilderness. All right, now listen up. Listen up. For those of you who are dating or you are engaged and might be thinking of marriage. Do not make promises to that man or that woman. Do not make promises you will not keep. Before I perform anyone's wedding, 
I hold what we call premarital counseling sessions with each couple. Pastor Lisa, Reverend Dr. Lisa Autar does the same thing, and most other pastors do likewise. And during one of those sessions, I ask this question. During the counseling, premarital counseling session, I ask this question. I say, does the bride or groom have any habit that really bothers you and you wish he or she would change? Sometimes the bride and groom will say, no, no, he or she doesn't have any bad habits, Pastor Nick. And I say, that, that's great, wow, that's marvelous. I wish my wife could say the same thing about me, you know. Other times, other times the bride-to-be will say, Pastor Nick, I'm so glad you asked that question. And then she will maybe go on to say something like this. She'll say, you know, Pastor, I love him. I love my fiancé so much, and he loves me so much. We get along great. <clears throat> we get along great, but, but, here's his habit that drives me crazy. I love him so much, but... He smokes, he smokes cigarettes, and I hate the smell of cigarettes. And then sometimes the groom will speak up and say, Well, honey, honey, I promised you, I promised you, once we are married, I promised you, once we are married, I will stop smoking. <laughs> And then I speak up and I say, liar, yeah, liar, this is how I make some enemies. I say, liar, if you really intend to stop smoking, you would have stopped smoking months ago or years ago when she first told you she hates the smell of cigarettes and hates the smell of smoke. That's right. At least, at least my wife agrees me, agrees with me. Thank you. You want to come and pat me on the back here, honey? No. Okay. You know. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes in a premarital counseling session, to the question. Does, does she, does she have any bad habits you wish would stop? The groom might say something like this. The groom will say, well, pastor, I really love my fiance. She's so beautiful. She's so wonderful. You know, I, 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 I just really love her, and that's why I want to get married to her. But, but pastor, she she, you, you asked me, you asked me if there's a bad habit. Pastor, the problem is she is a, a big spender and it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. She spends and spends and spends. She spends more than she earns and then she asks for my money already and we're not even married yet. I'm afraid, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that we might go bankrupt. And guess what? 
the bride might say something like this. The bride might say, well, sweetheart, sweetheart, I promised you, I promised you, I won't spend so much, I won't spend so much once we're married. Yeah, right. Yeah. How many of you here are married? How many of you viewing are married to a big spender? Don't put your hand up if the party is in the same room with you. Yeah. Brides and grooms, don't make promises you won't keep. It will only, it will only lead to trouble and separations and divorce. That's right. All right, let's get back to the words of Jephthah spoken in, in verses 30 to 31, where it says, and Jephthah, all right, back to verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And then in verse 34, 35, here's what it says. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. Ooh. He had no other sons or daughters. Verse 35. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot, I cannot, I cannot take it back. Here's the question. Jephthah made a specific promise to God to sacrifice whatever came out of his house. Whatever came out when he returned home from the battlefield. His daughter was the first thing to come out of his house. The question is, did Jephthah sacrifice his one and only child, a daughter? Did Jephthah kill his daughter? We will answer that question in next Sunday's message, March 7 at 11.30 a.m. Did Jephthah kill his daughter? We will answer that question in the March 7th message, 11.30 a.m., which will be the final message on Jephthah. All right. We have just talked about <clears throat> being very careful about what kind of promises or vows you and I make to God and to other people. Here is the great news. Here's the great news, my friends. The Lord has given you and me many, many promises. One of those promises is recorded in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Some translations say from all unrighteousness. 
Have you asked God to forgive you for your sins? Have you asked? Then in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus spoke these words and gives us this other beautiful promise. He says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Jesus was referring to heaven. He was talking about his promise of heaven. Do you know that your eternal home is in heaven? Do you know? I want to invite you to pray with me and receive the Lord's promises of forgiveness and heaven. Why don't you bow your head right where you are, would you? And pray where you are. Dear God, thank you for loving me. On this very important and precious day, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. You have said that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, dear Lord. And I know I can be forgiven because Jesus, your son, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. So I receive your forgiveness by faith. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that is mine to know for certain that as I seek your forgiveness and as I commit my heart, my life to you, you give to me and to others the promise of heaven. Thank you for your promise of heaven. I receive by faith your beautiful promise. And so no matter how long I live on this earth, I know that my eternal home is in heaven with Jesus and the many other precious believers who have gone on before me. Lord, I receive your forgiveness by faith. I receive your promise of heaven by faith. Thank you for letting me be a child, a child of God. Through Christ, I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Listen to this beautiful song. 